Hey, it is L.A. Lloyd, and uh, today is the fifth time for Chris Jericho of Fozzie to co-host the show. Uh, good to see you on, on Zoom here, man, and welcome back. Five times I should get a green jacket or something in L.A. <laughs> Indeed, man. I, I, you said that the last time, but I said you were on for the fourth time, so oh. <laughs> I, I'm going ha- to have to you know, really live up to it now because you've hit me up so many <laughs> Uh, I'm glad I use the same material every yeah. time. No, it's all good. Next time. Well, um, last time we met was uh, at the NAB convention there in Dallas. You were actually on a panel for uh, for podcasters, and uh, you were talking about uh, yours, Talk is Jericho, which is now over 800 episodes. So uh, that was a great uh, panel where you where you talked about doing that. But, I mean, 800 episodes, man, that's, that's pretty impressive. Did you think that uh, – it was going to be going this long when you started back in 2013, and were you always in it for the long haul, or what? I would love to say that I had this big overall plan, but I really didn't. I, I just got into podcasting very early, like you mentioned, 2013. Um, at that point in time, it was still a fairly brand new medium. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, talking to to some people and trying to get guests and that sort of thing early on. And I remember one, I had a contact with Ozzy, and it's like Ozzy doesn't do podcasts; it's kind of too too low level he'd rather do you know the 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 local radio stations and i was like man he doesn't get it yet you know it took a long time for people to understand that podcasting basically in a lot of ways replaced the local radio interviews you know you can hit so many more people and have a much longer form uh more fun of an interview on a podcast and I, I, that's what I figured out quite early on. So it was really uh, interesting to me to see how how the the medium grew and changed. And because I was able to get in as early as I did, I think uh, I had a good fan base kind of carved out because now there's literally over a million podcasts. Yeah, I'm not even kidding. Literally over a million. So for me to kind of have this early jump on it sort of thing, and also too to understand what it's like to get asked the same question all the time in an interview and stay away from that. I think people know that they can come on, on talk as Jericho and, and have a good time. Yeah. And you know, one of the best compliments I ever got was but Paul Stanley said it. Lemmy said it. Um, you know, guys like Ian Ziering have said it We're like, this is the best interview I've ever done. And when you're talking to somebody who's been around for a long time, has done thousands of interviews. That's a pretty good uh, compliment that you can get. I think this is the first time we've ever had an Ian Ziering and Paul Stanley mentioned in the same <laughs> sentence, Matt. So. Paul Stanley, Ian Ziering, and Lemmy. There's a there's a cross section for you. It is, man. Well, I, I was checking over some of your more recent ones, and uh, one that really stood out to me is uh, the one you did with Attorney Mike Dawkins uh, about you know howing how to own your your trademark, your celebrity, your your name, and everything. And the reason that one stood out to me is uh, before I started the Rock Thirty Countdown uh, almost 22 years ago. I spoke with an entertainment lawyer, pretty much gave me the same advice. He's like, look, anyone can do the Rock 30 countdown, but there can only be one L.A. Lloyd Rock 30. So with that said, uh, her advice really stuck with me. And after listening to that podcast uh, with Mike there, it it seemed like you learned a lot from that. And and maybe talk about uh, how he kind of has helped you own your name and your celebrity, if you will. Well, it's one of those things, you know, mentioning Kiss again. Gene Simmons told me uh, a few years ago, copyright everything, trademark everything. Yeah. And, you know, working with the WWE for as long as I did, they would trademark your name and trademark your intellectual property. And we get into that with 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 Mike Dawkins, like you mentioned, the trademark lawyer. And by the way, that show is a perfect example of what you mentioned about Talk is Jericho and why it's gone as long as it has. I really loved that idea, but I didn't know if people would really 
respond to it, a trademark lawyer, but I have got so much feedback from that. Yeah. And it just proves that my instincts were correct. This is interesting. If you're in the business, if you're not about trademarking and copywriting your, your property. Right. Um, so that's something that I really started doing when I left WWE and I have so many different projects between the podcast and the cruise and the band and, uh, it, you know, in wrestling, I come up with stuff every single week for different catchphrases and nicknames and that sort of a thing. So I just trademark it all. Yeah. And sometimes you use it, sometimes you don't. But I think it just feels good to own your own name. That's one reason why I've always been Chris Jericho, because I started as Chris Jericho. And before I went to the WWF at the time in 1999, I copy, copywrote, copywritten that name <laughs> yeah. uh, so that it couldn't be taken from me. And I went into the WWE saying, this is my name. I have it you know, trademarked, so you can't take it. And I think if more people understood that and how important it is to own your trademark and own your copyright, I think it just makes you smarter uh, and it's better for you as a performer, whether it's music, wrestling, whatever I said. Mm -hmm. And I think anytime you can be more knowledgeable about something, it's better for you as, as a professional. For sure. One thing I learned um, as conversational as your podcasts are you know, I was thinking, it's like, man, this guy really comes into it majorly prepped and stuff like that. You're like, no, you know, I kind of have things to kind of get it rolling. And from that, I just, you know, play the part of a good listener and see how the conversation rolls, which I think is is what makes it sound so natural. But, you know, I got to think, man, out of over 800 interviews, there, there has to be a dud or two where you had to start going like, okay, I've got to, I got to fill time here. And when you come to that and you don't really have a lot of backup stuff, what do you, what do you do? The one that comes to mind of being the worst, you know, the worst talk is Jericho was, was Mike Tyson. Oh, And Mike's a friend of mine. And he just decided <laughs> that day that he didn't really want to talk or didn't really understand the concept of, of what a podcast was. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I like, I don't ever come into anything with any questions. You know, I think that's another reason why people enjoy doing my show. Cause we just have a conversation, you know what I mean? Wherever the conversation goes is where it goes. And that kind of leads to interesting stuff. And I had probably about, I was thinking, oh, this is about 30 minutes of stuff from experiences that we had had together. Mm -hmm. And we got through that in about five minutes and he just wasn't giving me anything. And I was just, you start scrambling. And after probably 50 minutes, I was like, man, I, I have to continue. Like I need 45 minutes for this show. I'm just going to talk right? and he can listen to me. And I just kind of told stories that kind of you know <laughs> related to him, you know, a little bit. And, you know, if you get that type of a guest, that's what, let me tell you this, LA, that's why a lot of people have had podcasts and they come and go very quickly because uh, everybody thinks it's so easy. As you know, it is not easy no. to be a host. No, it is not easy to be a host because some guests you get won't give you anything. Some guys are in a bad mood. Some people don't want to talk. And it's like, well, I'm the host of the show. Other guys are very are very constricted. And that's why I like a longer form interview because you can peel back the onion as the interview goes forward. Right. You know, I had Steve-O on from, from Jackass the other day, another guy that I've known for years, a good guy, but the first 10 minutes are a little bit, you know, here's the corporate speak and here's the answers. And then you start opening it up and it's like, okay, now, now we got some cool stuff going on here. Yeah. And that's where the fun begins. When you can get somebody who's done a ton of interviews or press junkets or all that other stuff, when you can get them out of that, you know, all right, it's another interview and into the, <laughs> to the comfort zone of, I want to talk about whatever comes into my head and stuff that you don't usually talk about. That's when you know, you've done the right job.
And one thing that uh, I've noticed, especially, uh, you know, with with bands who, you know, maybe a new band and they're, they're really not up to the interviewing thing yet. And they'll be staring down at the floor and, you know, here's the mic up here. And I was like, no, you know, talking to the mic and you can hit that one question, though. And it's like you can almost see it in their eyes. And it's like, boom, the interview is completely different after that because you, yeah. you've got them. And then they open up, and and that's like I said, it's 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 not an easy thing to do to to be a great interviewer. And I'm not blowing smoke up my own ass, but uh, it, it does take a little work. But it feels good when you know you've hit that sweet spot and you got them for the rest of the interview. Well, it really does. And like when I had Slash on the first time, this was pre Guns and Roses, and he was like, "Don't ask about Axel." And I'm like, "I'm not going to ask you about Axel. Why would I ask you about Axel when I got Slash here? I don't yeah. care." So we started talking about, you know, uh, horror movies we have in common and dinosaurs, believe it or not. He's mm. a big dinosaur fanatic and, and so am I. And we were going and after about an hour, somehow the subject of the stones came up and then we started talking about the stones. And then he brought up the time that Guns N' Roses opened for the stones. And it's like now, now I've got all these great Guns N' Roses stories because he's in the right spot and it just fit. And if I would have come up to him first and said, you got any good, good Guns N' Roses stories, he might have went, oh, every freaking time someone asks me this question and I don't want to talk about it. But when you get somebody in that comfort zone to where they're giving out these answers on their own, now you know this is this is awesome. Yeah. And that's that's always to me is 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 this is the key and the secret to being a great interviewer. You have to listen. Uh, any questions that you have, if they're not relevant to the conversation, get rid of them, but you have to pay attention because usually while you're talking, something will be said that leads to something else that leads to something else that, but you got to be smart and you got to be listening and you got to be focused. And that's why I always listen back to my shows after they air, because when I'm recording them, it's hard to really get a feel for it because I'm, I'm driving the ship and driving the conversation. Right. And whenever it's done, when that 60 minutes is done, I'm always like, okay, that was pretty good. Or that was all right. Or that was awesome. And when I listen back, usually my instincts are correct, but a lot of times the shows are way better than I expected because I didn't get a chance to really enjoy them while I'm doing them because you're leading the interview. Like I said, yeah, and uh, way back uh, earlier in my career, um, I don't remember who I was interviewing, but you know, I went into all this prep, had the questions ready, went through the interview. I thought it was a, a grand slam, and you know, my wife at the time listened to it. She's like, she was like, you didn't hear a single word that yeah. person said. She's like, you were so ready to ask that next question, you had no idea what the answer yeah. was, and I was like, you know, you're exactly right. And from that moment on. I think is where it's really kind of sat in with me. It's like, just be a damn good listener and you'll have a good yes. interview, you know? So, And you can tell that too, being on the other side of the mic, like being, being interview subject, like I've been thousands of times, I can tell right away if it's going to be a good interview or bad right. instantly, yeah. instantly, instantly, instantly. When, when, when the questions come out and I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter what I say, the questions are going to be more focused on <laughs> than the actual answers themselves, you know? And I've done that. You know, when you I don't do them anymore for the reasons that we discussed, the the, the press junkets, the radio tours, the the, the morning show tours, mm -hmm. you sit in a studio and they buzz you in via satellite to like 15 or 20 different morning shows. And the, each one of them lasts three to five minutes. Right. And then you go to the next one, you go to the next one, you go to the next one. Nothing gets accomplished because the interviews always suck. The interviewer, you can tell right away if they don't care. And I remember one time because you can't see them if it's a TV show. 
somebody asked me about a book and I could tell she had no interest who I was, didn't care. And I said, well, what's the book about? And I was like, well, this is from when I did um, my, my trip to Mars and I fell in love with, with, a, with a blue Martian woman. And it kind of talks about our subjects and kind of what we went. She goes, well, that's interesting. And so when does it come out? And I literally was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, really? This is where we're at. Oh my God. That is, that is a classic, man. Well, it's so true. And I, and to be honest with you on the other side, when they asked me, do I want to be a part of those uh, to interview? I turned them down as well. Cause it's always, they're always running behind and they're always rushed. So I'm like, thanks, but no, thanks. I'll get them when they got more time. Like, yeah, I, I don't have a guest uh, on unless I get at least 45 minutes. Yeah. And yeah. um, I had a guy just the other day call me about having uh, Klaus from the Scorpions on to talk about the new record and all that stuff. And I was like, I would love to have Klaus on, but I know what you're going to say because I've had Scorpions on before. I need 45 minutes. Well, Klaus will give you 30. I have to pass. Yeah. Are you sure? Is he sure? Because I guarantee <laughs> all of the interviews he's doing, mine will get a much bigger number than all of them. But once again, that's I need a certain amount of time to do my show properly the way that my listeners expect me to do it. And for me to, to, to keep the high level uh, of quality that I insist on having. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the album now. Obviously, last time we uh, talked was pre-COVID. That kind of changed the entire world. The album was going to be called sure. 2020. Obviously, <laughs> that didn't work out because everything was shut down. So Boombox is the name of the new album. And uh, I have May 6th as the release date. So uh, maybe talk about the strategy of, you know, having to, you know, change the album title and I mean, last time you were pretty set on 2020, you know, because we talked about Bon Jovi had Bon Jovi 2020. You're like, no, this is our title. And I'm sticking yeah. with it. So it's funny because you think back to when when that mattered. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> arguing over an album title right. meant something. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the initial idea for that, for that um, I think, was a cool concept because 2020, perfect vision. You know, uh, I, I, there was a lot of 1984 uh, inspiration, Van Halen. The difference was that Van Halen released 1984 on New Year's Eve, 1983. So like the next day, January 1st, 1984, the album is out. Yeah. And that was kind of the idea because we, we, were, we were laughingly calling this Chinese phosocracy for the longest time because we started recording this, I think, in in May of 2019, and that's when 2020, like I said, we could probably have this done by February or March. Let's go for 2020. And then Bon Jovi announced it. And then, of course, the lockdown happened. And it's like, I never want to think about the numbers 2020 ever again. And then, you know, everything got pushed back, the recording and all that sort of stuff. But we finished this album probably a little over a year ago, mixed, mastered in the can. But we didn't want to release it. Like a lot of bands put out really great records during the pandemic and couldn't tour on them. And I just thought, why do we want to rush this? I mean, this album is great. Uh, it, there's, I do not want this to just come and go and disappear like some other great records did uh, it, you know, in that time frame. I mean, ACDC, Power Up. I mean, my goodness, that was one of their best records ever. And it's a little bit different for ACDC because they can do what they want. But it's been over a year. You know, Halloween, their their self-titled was amazing. The, the new Striper record, uh, 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 Even the Devil Believes. These were great records for these bands. And then they just came and went. And right. I did not want that to happen with, with, uh, with Boombox. Uh, and nobody in our camp did. And that's why May 6th is the time. Everyone's back out. Everyone's back on tour. We've done a couple tours. It's It feels right. And um, the album is going to get the reception that it deserves uh, from the quality of the songs uh, encapsulated within. 
obviously over the weekend, uh, two two big stories happened. One sad. One was kind of who cares, in my opinion. But the the first I wanted to talk about was you know the passing of Taylor Hawkins. I mean, he's you know one of the guys we've had on the show. I'm not sure if you've interviewed him with Dave or not, but uh, just your feelings as a, a fellow musician and and losing someone of his magnitude. I. I'm not even sure if I met Taylor at all, but Dave, Dave is a friend of mine. And I just saw Dave a couple months ago at a birthday party. And those two guys were, were two peas in the pot. And I feel so bad for Dave. Obviously, you know, it's happened to him twice in his career now. Yeah. Uh, obviously feel terrible for I, I, Taylor's one of those guys. Like we should have been friends. I can just tell from his <laughs> vibe and, and like, we should have lived next door and been best friends. Right. Um, more importantly, I think not even from a personal level, it really hurts rock and roll. Uh, Foo Fighters are the biggest mainstream rock band. That's not Metallica or U2. Mm-hmm. Um, they have such a great vibe. They're such a great band. And Taylor was a huge part of that. And I don't know how Dave will continue. And I almost kind of feel that Foo Fighters might be done. I think they might have died the day that Taylor died. Not that Dave will retire, but I don't see how he can continue as Foo Fighters when he had, I mean, that was his partner in crime. That was his guy. But, you know, the Eagles can continue without Glenn Fry, and, and, you know, there's other ways to do it. But I don't know, man. It just just really, really, really bums me out on a personal level, on a fan level, and on a rock and roll level. It's very hard to get a rock and roll band to play arenas and stadiums and find headliners for festivals. And Foo Fighters are one of them, and basically just in their prime. I mean, even though Dave's only 53 years old, gosh, they they could be the stones of our generation, yeah. you know? And, and I, I really hope that Dave can find it within him to continue – but even more importantly, it just sucks that we lost such a great guy, a tremendous rock drummer, a great singer. He was yeah. one of the spotlights of the Foo Fighters gig was was him doing Somebody to Love or Under Pressure. Right. And, you know, just all across the board. He had a, a, a cover band called Chevy Metal that was very <laughs> rock and roll respect. Obviously, the, the, the record they just did, the heavy metal record, like the guy was just a lot like me, just loves all types of music and just loves being involved in a band and it just sucks all across the board. It definitely does. Um, so uh, obviously with all the milestones you've had in your career, one that you got to feel really good about is is getting a gold album. I mean, you know, this is this is a big thing. you got a big yeah. concert plan in New York City uh, at Irving Plaza there coming up um, pretty soon. Um, April so, 11th. April yeah. 11th. So, um, you know, I've got a lot of plaques on my walls from bands that I've had the opportunity to play from their very first single uh, if you get any, you want to send out any radio personalities, I'd be happy to add one to the collection. <laughs> but uh, tell me about the uh, the show you got planned in New York and and what this means getting this gold record, man. That's a, a great milestone. Well, I mean, it's a dream come true to be honest with you. I mean, we started hearing the, the rumors and the numbers that you know, you know, we're probably gonna get a gold record for Judas, and this was about a year and a half ago, or maybe even two years. We've been monitoring it for a while. But you can just see if the record keeps selling like it has been, it's going to go gold. And you're like, is it even possible? Mm -hmm. Can we even do that in this day and age? Right. Um, Because now it's a combination of stream uh, of sales and streams. Mm -hmm. Um, It's astronomical. The amount of streams you need to get 500,000 equivalent sales, 75 million. Really? Um, But yeah. Oh, but 
when we started getting close to that number and combined with the sales that we had, it was like, I can't believe it. Is it really going to happen? And then boom, it happened. Uh, and then you start here, you, you start you know, learning all the specifics. Like you have to actually have an accountant. There's a, an accountant's firm that the RIAA hires that has to count. And right. you're like, okay, hopefully it works. And then you get it. And then you have to go through, here's, it's like going through wallpaper. Here's the type of plaques that you can get. <laughs> Do you want this one? Do you want that one? And then you're like, now we're like debating over what type of gold record plaque looks good. And like you said, who do you send it to? And I yeah. was like, this is amazing. Like who would have ever thought this uh, for our band and in 2022, no less, where it's so hard to sell records at all. Yeah. And it was just really like, a, like I said, a dream come true. And the fact that we were able to get a gold album, I mean, that puts you on a completely different level. Yeah, it definitely uh, does. You know, not, not many bands get a gold record. And, you know, we're one of them now. And you can say whatever you want. And all the people that were angry that Fozzie existed or exists because I'm in the band. And how good can it be with a wrestler as a singer? Well, it's good enough to get a gold record, mother. Here we go. What do you think about that? <laughs> so I think it really kind of, it, it, it's, it's a great accomplishment. Uh, and it's really something that puts you on a totally different level, um, you know, as a band and, and as a musician, I'm very, very proud of it. Back to the podcasting thing, uh, you know, after you've done over 800, um, was there someone that you had booked that you were thinking, eh, this is probably going to be, you know, a, a good podcast, but maybe not a one over the top that completely just surprised you? I mean, is there one guest that just came in and just brought it that you just weren't expecting? It's hard because there's been so many. I'm just kind of looking right now, just kind of looking through to see. I mean, I, I think, I mean, the, the, uh, if you go through the ones that I've done recently, because those are the ones I remember the most. So we did the James Bond cast, just four, four huge James Bond fans just going through the whole history of, of the, of the franchise mm. that turned out really good. Cause you never know what you're going to get with kind of that sort of a hodgepodge thing. Um, we did a story about Jose Mangan from Sirius radio uh, who bought, who bought, who, who was gifted in the will Dimebag Daryl and Vinnie Paul's limousine from, from Pantera. Yeah. And the limousine was a piece of crap. It wouldn't run. It was growing into the ground. And we told the whole story about how he restored it to become this amazing kind of rock and roll piece of history this this relic memorabilia uh that you can actually rent and drive around in yourself that was a great one yeah. and william regal from AEW that gave us a whole 60 minute diatribe about his health issues that no one even knew about that blew my mind that one is the biggest rated podcast i've had in a while so you know those types of things the, the amityville horror mm. one that i did about the house the amityville house the diversity that I have as a host and just being interested in all these sorts of things takes the, takes the show to a different level. Yeah. So all of those ones that I mentioned, you never know how a show is going to go. Really you don't. And then you have a trademark lawyer on and you listen back to it and go, this is a great effing show. I <laughs> really was. like this. Yeah. You know, so there's always those types. I mean, I, I always go back to William Shatner was such a great guest because he listens to what you're asking him and throws questions back at you. And he has such a huge, you know, Hollywood career and, and just those types of, 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 you know, guests to, you know, Paul Stanley, the first time I had him on, I was just a fan and he's, he's been on five or six times now. Now we're friends and yeah. it's just, that's the cool thing about doing this show. I love talking to people. I love asking questions that I always wanted to know. Uh, and I love, you know, making friends with some of these guys that, that you meet along the way. That's kind of what it's all about. 
One great thing I saw Bill Shatner do, uh, he was actually in studio with our morning team, and in the middle of the interview, one of the guys had to do a live endorsement for some some product or whatever. And at the end of it, Bill was like, I'm not buying it. I, I'm not buying your endorsement. He's like, I, he's like, I don't believe you. He's, and then he was coaching him on how to do an endorsement. It was great radio, man, because Bill is just like, you, you just, you're reading words off a piece of paper. I don't believe you, you know? And he was <laughs> kind of coaching him how to do it, you know? I mentioned that I had rented a car and he's like, stop, stop, stop. Where did you rent your car from? And I told him wherever it was from. He's like, why did you rent from there instead of here? What, what's the difference between rental car places? And what's your experience as a guy who's traveled across the world and renting? I was like, this is like, you would never expect to talk about this, but you end up having a great conversation just because he's listening. And you know what? How many interviews has he done? Yeah. 20,000, 30,000, a million. He yeah. doesn't want to talk about the same. Right. And that's what I like about those types of guys. Like Lemmy, I'd always heard Lemmy. Oh, he's a tough interview. He doesn't want to talk. Yeah. I walked in there and right off the bat, we started talking about Rick and Bacher basses, which is what Paul McCartney played for a while. Getty Lee plays a Rick. And right out of the gate, it was this kindred spirit. And I, I knew Lemmy anyways, but then we're talking about Faulty Towers from the British sitcom. And then we're talking about when he went and saw Chuck Berry in concert. And like wow. now we're talking about stuff that I know he doesn't get to talk about. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's what it's all about. You know, and that's once again, an important part about being a host is just listening and thinking, okay, how many times does, you know, William Shatner get to talk about rent-a-cars and he wants to talk about it. So let's talk about it. If you have your captain Kirk questions, throw them away. Right. Cause you don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And if it comes up, it comes up. But if not, now you've got a whole world to discuss that he's excited about. And that's the most important thing is making your, your subject excited to be there and excited to, to talk about what you're going to talk about. So as I was thinking about uh, this interview, I, I decided I wanted to, uh, to, to turn the tables a little bit. So I'm curious if I was a guest on your podcast. I mean, you know a few things about me. You know I'm a radio host. I do a Rock 30 yes. Countdown. Been doing it for almost 22 years. What would be your, your leadoff question to me if, if I was a guest on your show? Just, you know, since you're a guy who kind of comes where you don't really prep, you just hit me with your first question. Well, I would just say you've been doing this for such a long time and you asked me, I'll ask you the same. Who 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 was your favorite interview uh, or, or multiple times your favorite interview subject to have uh, on your show? I know it sounds cliche, but and this goes back to 1995, but it was Dave Grohl. And at the time, kind of going back to what you said, it was like leading up to this interview, the record label, the manager, everybody's like, do not bring up Nirvana. I was like, got it, got it. And, you know, the record rep, this is the first time she'd ever been with him. She brings him from the airport. She's a nervous wreck. He walks through the room just like he is today. High five, you know, like this, like, dude, what's up? I'm Dave Grohl and blah, blah, blah. And we get into Foo Fighters talk a little bit. Then all of a sudden he was like, did you ever see Nirvana live? I said, sure. He's like, man, we were the sloppiest band. We were the biggest Pixies ripoff, you know? And so he went into Nirvana and started talking about it. And there it was. So, uh, that's how you got him. Exactly. Dave Grohl to this day. I mean, you know, 20, 27 years ago, still number one interview. Yep. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and you're definitely up there in the top 10, Chris, because you're always, you know, I love I love interviewing you, man. You're you're fun to talk to and, and I enjoy it very much. So I appreciate that. man. Let's get a little business done on the new single. Um, I still burn. 
maybe tell us a little bit about this track today before we uh, before we set it up. We really believe in this song um, because I think it connects to, to to people the same way that Judas connected to people. But Judas has a negative connotation. Judas is kind of the bad side of things where you're betray- it's about betrayal, about betraying yourself. Everyone I've ever loved, I've pushed them all away. Everyone can relate to that. I still burn. Uh, about is about the passion and 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 the drive to succeed with your dreams and your goals and and I think everybody can relate to that as well and it's a much more positive message to it. So I, I think as a result, um, I mean, right out of the gate, people have been into this song. It's very catchy. It's got the triple hook that Fozzie kind of uh, is become known for in a lot of ways, at least in our own minds. And I think it has a real chance to be the highest charting, biggest song we've ever done. And this is coming from a band that just got a gold record for Judas. So we're really excited about it. Uh, we're actually just working on the video right now. So uh, it just really fits. And I knew when um, we started thinking about singles for Boombox, that Sane had to be the first one because it's a rocker. You always want the rocker to come out first. Uh, at least I like that. And then the second one is your radio big hit single. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what we've done with I Still Burn. So the big tour coming up, um, obviously um, you can do podcasts on the road. It's easy to uh, to sit down with someone. But, uh, you know, it is still a little bit of a challenge because you got uh, the tour going on. Uh, does being in a lot of different cities kind of open itself up to be in front of people that you might not normally have the chance to do that? It does, you know, and that's one of the good things about, about doing a podcast is when you go from city to city, you can think, who do I know that lives here? Right. Uh, okay. Well, you know, so-and-so lives in Colorado. So let me call him up and see if he wants to do a show because Lord knows you, you have a lot of time just hanging around, really not doing much. You're waiting for the show to start. And I think that's one of the cool things about podcasting is that you can, uh, you know, fill up some of that time with, uh, with that. Another thing too, is I I think one of the, the, the positives of, of the lockdown and the pandemic is the emergence of zoom interviews. We never did zoom interviews before LA, you know what I mean? It would always be a phoner. And I think now that, that you have zoom and Streamyard and all these other ways of, of, of doing interviews, it just makes it that much easier and that much more accessible that you can do an interview with anybody you want, basically, as long as they have a computer. So um, that helps a lot as well. One thing's for sure that I, I, I've been trying to do this type of interview for, I don't know, 12, 13 years, and I've tried Skype, you know, FaceTime, but the bands just wouldn't adapt to it or the manager or the labels. And then once we kind of got forced into it, I said, the only great thing that's come out of COVID is now everybody knows how to use Zoom. Right. So no, you're exactly right. Exactly right. So that that's kind of one of the benefits and it really makes it better. Like when I had uh, Angus Young and Brian Johnson on who never do interviews, but they were doing interviews when power up came out because they don't, they couldn't tour on it. If I couldn't see them, mm-hmm. the interview would have been terrible because you, it's just so hard to understand. They've got very thick accents, right. Angus and Brian, but when you see them talking, then you can kind of get it. And then they're pausing because they're thinking of stories. It was one of my favorite shows I've ever done, but it had to be visual. Yeah. If I wasn't there seeing them, you'd be too scared of dead air and you'd be jumping the gun. And if you can't understand somebody on the phone, I like to read lips too. If somebody's got a real thick accent. So that really was a benefit and a bonus for me. Yeah. I think it's definitely helped bands, uh, as you yeah. said, because they can see the person they're actually talking to. Uh, final question. Um, the, the Chris Jericho rock and wrestling at sea cruise is coming up February next year. So 
Uh, have you done this before? Because I haven't heard of it. I just kind of saw it online yeah. last night. But tell me about the cruise. This is the fourth one that we had. We just did uh, our, our, the last one in October after the lockdown. It was uh, postponed from February of 2021 to October. And uh, we did the Kiss Cruise in 2015. Had a great time. And as soon as we landed uh, on shore, I called my manager and my partner in the cruise. I said, I got an idea. Let's do wrestling matches and rock and roll at sea. Yeah. And it was a original concept nobody had ever done it before we had to figure out how to get a ring on the ship and make sure it wouldn't be moving and all that sort of stuff and the first one was a hit but the second one was through the roof and that's where we kindly we we found the the, the formula of wrestling rock and roll comedians we've got a paranormal uh, uh, exhibitions and that sort wow. of thing and we just make it everything that i enjoy it's like if you like talk as jericho with all the diversity that i have <laughs> you'll appreciate chris jericho's rock and wrestling rager at sea so uh yes the fourth one is the uh, four leaf clover it goes up february 2nd of 2023 and uh, we're excited man it's our fourth one and there's no reason to stop doing them. People enjoy them and it's a lot of fun. And uh, it's one of those things that we call the vacation of a lifetime because everyone that does our cruise that does other cruises of its ilk say that ours is the best one and the most fun. So that's always good to hear as well. Well, cool, man. Well, I, I'm looking forward to um, maybe jumping on that. I just did Shiprock for my first time la- last year and uh, or actually back in January, but uh, Blast, they're man. fun, yeah, man. Fun. They're fun cruises. Fun. They so. sure are. They sure are. Well, I'm glad you're touring. I'm, I, I wanted to uh, get this interview done, uh, you know, uh, before you actually come to Austin, but I'm definitely looking forward to coming to see you in the show. It's been a long time since I've seen you live, so May 1st, great, uh, we'll see you here in Austin, and of course, we'll get this out to all of our other stations all over the U.S. and pump that tour, man. So best of luck on that of the new album. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it, man. Always great talking to you, my friend, and uh, I look forward to number six. Yes, indeed. Sixth appearance. Maybe I'll have that green jacket by then. <laughs> <laughs> I'll open with a different line, I promise. <laughs> all right, brother. Thanks, all right. man. Take care, man. See ya. Cheers.